0: to On the Line, a podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have my friend Tom Parks. Um, Tom is the director of tennis at Pine Valley Country Club in North Carolina and a member of the USPTA Southern Board. Um, and we're chatting today ahead of the upcoming USPTA Southern Convention. Um, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. Jenny, you know, anything for you?
0: Uh, you're, you're, you're the best. (laughs) Um, so, so tell us a little bit about your journey. You, I know you have an interesting journey. Um, so, so share with us what you can.
1: Okay. So, um, my dad was in the military, so I actually learned how to play tennis in uh, Maine, uh, Brunswick, Maine, which, uh, the base is now closed, but that's where I learned how to play. Um, and then my dad was transferred to Jacksonville, Florida, which I now call home. Okay. Um, I would say, yes, I'm in North Carolina, but uh, home is always uh, Jacksonville, where my family is. Uh, both my brother and my, my mother and father live there. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I went to Florida Junior College um, on a scholarship, mm-hmm. and I was an All American uh, at Juco. That's and awesome. then. Yeah, well, I decided I didn't really like school, and then <laughs> um, I had I took a lot of time off and did a lot of traveling with some players. I had the opportunity to work with um, at a very young age uh, the number three and number four player in the world juniors, one from Mexico and one from the United States. Oh, wow. One of them, uh, some of them might know as uh, Ivan Barron. Yes, who okay. he, and, he he and his family uh, own and run the. Uh, the uh, tournament in uh, Delray Beach.
0: Yes, yes, the Delray Open. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. Right,
1: and I also worked with his brother, which is, this may be one of, his brother Adam,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: may have one of the funniest classifications you'll ever hear. He went from unranked one year to top ten in the country the next. Wow. And when I say unranked, <laughs> he was unranked in Florida.
2: Okay. And
1: he was unranked in the, in the country.
0: Holy moly <laughs> Wow okay that, that's uh, that's a lot
1: <laughs> Yeah I mean he he, he uh, the year that I started working with him, his per- first flash was he went from unranked at the Easter Bowl to finishing uh, in the semifinals.
0: Wow, that's pretty awesome. So what was it like to kind of go go through that sort of huge leap with with somebody obviously driven, what was that like?
1: Um, well, with Adam, it was um I guess a lot of well and he may disagree with this um <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of his it was never ability it was never talent it was never um he just lived in the shadow of his brother uh his brother was always top five in the country um from the time he was in the twelves till you know he won the uh kalamazoo and got a wild card um his last year in the 18s, and ended up getting a full ride to uh, Georgia.
2: Wow.
1: Um,
0: That's impressive.
1: So when his brother went to Georgia, that's when Adam, and he's, I believe, two years younger. So Adam did all this in the 16s, Mm -hmm. his last year 16s. He took his uh, first year of the 16s off. He did not play any tennis at that time. Wow. And that's why he was unranked. Wow. It was not ability. It was not talent. It was – he just need a time off
0: Wow I think that's a that's an incredibly unique story and a and an encouraging story to possibly you know a lot a lot of folks out there that um, I don't know that are, maybe you're going through an injury time away from the game or a burnout time away from the game or just uh, need to take some time and work on some things in the game or, or who knows what it might be but that that certainly can be encouraging and inspiring to them. <laughs>
1: Well, like I said, I don't want to speak for Adam. It just—it was my concept, and he ended up getting a um, a scholarship to uh, Florida State, so he oh, played for awesome. Florida State. That's
2: awesome. Yeah.
1: So I said it, that was just what I'm saying is basically my understanding of how I saw stuff going down between you know w- within the family, and I would say that his family um, is always been very supportive of him, and you know he just decided to take a you know a step away.
0: Sure. Yeah, well, well, well. Good for him for sort of having the, you know, I don't know if wisdom is the right word or, or just being in tune with, you know, what you need to do. But I mean, if that's the right thing, and clearly it, it seems to have been the right thing. It worked out
2: for him. It
1: worked out for him. <laughs> I said, yeah. I mean, you know, bottom line is, you know, the the Baron family is amazing. They do a great job with the tournament. The kids are amazing. I, you know, my my interaction with both Adam and, and Ivan have, has always been, you know, awesome. Um, and you know, I would recommend at some point, you know, reaching out to them, doing a podcast with them as well, both with dad, uh, Ivan and Adam. And just, I think you'll have a blast with them because oh, they're that. absolutely the fun. They're, they're, they're absolutely hilarious.
0: Oh, well that would be so much fun. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> so, so what was next for you? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um after that um i did a little traveling with um oliver fernandez Mm -hmm. um oliver was number four in the world got to the finals of the orange bowl in 91 i believe it was i'm old i don't remember dates (laughs) um i believe it was 91 he lost to uh uh medvedev in the finals Um, wow yeah
2: okay so
1: um and and ivan lost to uh medvedev in the quarters so i was Whoa. with both of those guys yeah so very um very unique situation they all was all brought, brought about because my brother was uh, really good friends with both of them okay. um i was fortunate enough my brother was a 10 times better player than i was um he actually got to the finals of the 16 uh kalamazoo Um, but he'd grown up with playing with these guys internationally and nationally. And so that's how I got the opportunity to work with him.
0: Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Wow. So how did you go from that to, I know you were also the, um, Director of tennis at West West Side Club in South Carolina, but you also were the director. You were the director of the national junior tennis program in Egypt. Is that right?
1: Yes. Um, How did so, that happen? <laughs> so basically, I went from I was in Lauderdale with those guys for a while, and then I got an opportunity to go work with uh, Saddlebrook, um, and uh, one of the kids I was not really working with but I was working with a bunch of uh, nationally ranked junior mm-hmm. girls at the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and uh, one of their friends uh actually Omar was uh his dad was good friends with um uh, one of the directors of the uh, tennis program there and they wanted to bring in a full-time director to see where their program could go um and so, I spent three years in Cairo, Egypt, trying to put together a program for them.
0: So, what, what sort of challenges did that present for you? Uh,
2: well, a lot <laughs> of it was
1: me starting to understand um, culture. So, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and that, that was a hard part. But basically, my main focus was just trying to see, you know, how I could get and develop the different because there's a in the Middle East there's a different uh, philosophy for guys mm-hmm. than there are to females.
0: Sure, sure, okay.
1: So, can you um, share?
0: Can you share a little bit of that with us? Uh,
1: the main part is you just you, the, the the ladies, young ladies, all have to have chaperones. Whether it has to be a family member.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, yep.
1: Um, so, and there the 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 federation in egypt was not as worried about how the girls were doing which they did actually really well Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: um we we've got we got uh one young lady inside the top 75
2: in the world and we got
1: a we got two inside the top 200 so we got three kids inside the top 200 in about three years um but fortunately with the guys we, we we had lot more flexible they got they have a lot more flexibility Mm -hmm. um we got uh three of them inside the top uh 75 in the world wow yeah in a three-year period which was pretty good i thought that was that's pretty good (laughs) uh, um so you know and, and a lot of it's just you know with the international schedule back then it was more about finding the spots where they could they could uh the best results so it was a mm. little more traveling for them where the girls didn't have that flexibility
0: right right that makes sense um so how how do you think that that experience um in the middle east in egypt um working with the national junior program there how did that sort of influence you know what you do now
1: well <clears throat> when i came back from there um I had done a ton of traveling with Saddlebrook and a ton of traveling with, with the Egyptian Federation and, mm-hmm. and I was pretty much tired of traveling. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's when I decided to go more into the, uh, country club situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really, I ended up in Spartburg with a, a, a very good friend of mine. Um, John White yeah, Jr. Okay. Who, mm-hmm. Um, he, he and his family owned the, uh, club. I had worked with his daughter, And working is what I mean is I've, you know, kind of given them some information, worked with her when when we had time, Um, uh, Mary Carlisle. And so they asked me to come in and be director of tennis there. Um, But I was there for about three or four years. And just the the community itself was going through. It was in the late 90s um, and early 2000s. And the community... Financially was not where it needed to be to support the club at the time. So Mm -hmm. um, I got an opportunity to come to Pine Valley where they were building a brand new program from the ground up and I'm I'm always one up, uh, 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 you know, I'm somebody that's up for a challenge. So, and we built this program. Um, We've been very fortunate, you know, uh, we've had a ton of kids go to uh, school and scholarship. Um, I would say our number one player, um, ended up playing number one for LSU uh, women's team.
0: Whoa. Okay. That's big. So,
1: yeah. So we, we, we've had some success out of uh, Wilmington. Uh, it's just small, it's just such a small community. It's, it's just so tough to compete with Charlotte and Raleigh with, with, mm-hmm. with the numbers they have with juniors. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Wow. Wow. Now you, you mentioned um, being a, a junior college All-American. Um, where, where did you go to school? I know you, you, you went on. Uh, it was
1: Florida. It was Florida junior college in Jacksonville.
0: Okay. Okay. Nice. I just drove through Jacksonville not too long ago. There's a big bridge there.
1: <laughs> yes, there is.
0: <laughs> it was a little scary. the traffic's terrible. <laughs> it was a little scary. I was in my dad's car. I barred my dad's car for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, growing up, did you play other sports?
1: Um... I would say, from the time I was about eleven, the only thing I did was play tennis.
0: okay. Now, so, how do you feel about um, specialization or playing other sports? i mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, these things are all across the board. It's kind of a hot topic today. I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I would say I would say I am probably I, I, I would say i I have a a really good opinion on this being that. You know, I worked in the tennis industry for a long time, and I was basically a specialized person by 11. Mm-hmm. I would say I really like the fact that when kids play multiple sports. Mhm, mhm. I mean, I know on the pro tour, it's, it's basically 10 and a half months a year for those guys. But in reality, I would say that kids that are play, can play multiple sports now. It just it it it. it refreshes them when they come back to tennis i mean I totally tennis agree. is yeah. such a grind
0: it is
2: it and, is
1: and and I would say that kids that just specialize in tennis you see such a burnout rate it's ridiculous and I don't blame yeah.
0: them so true because so true. It,
1: because it's, it, it's so individualized mm-hmm. you're you are you know and it's and unfortunately it's you know even in the juniors it's such a cutthroat mm-hmm. situation when you mm-hmm. get to the highest level. You know, so you need some. You definitely need some um, downtime, and you need time to hang out with your boys or your girls, <laughs> you know, there you, you know, yes. and, mm-hmm. and and just have some fun. Oh, I mean, sure. let's face it: the numbers of the kids that are actually making on the tour—it's ridiculous. The numbers yep. are so low. Yep. So the bottom line is, it's just when they play, they should be enjoying themselves, and when they're not playing, you know, go do go do things to have fun.
0: You know, I love it when um, sometimes during the uh, the bigger tournaments, uh, whether it's a Grand Slam or, or whatever tournament they might be showing on TV, how they'll show some of the players maybe like juggling a soccer ball or, you know, uh, one of my favorite things, I'll never forget this, was that I think it was a rainy, uh, a rainy day at the U.S. Open. This was, you know, back in the 90s, you know, before there was a roof and all that, and they um, – You know, if for those of you that might not know, the the you know Arthur Ashe Stadium is right next to Shea Stadium, or well, where it used to be, uh, the home of the Mets, and um, they it was super cool. They they had Andre Agassi hitting, um, hitting baseballs in the in the Mets Stadium next door, and they were like playing home run derby, and Agassi was just unbelievable. I mean which I mean if you've read his if you've read his book you know you, you know the big scary ball machine you know hitting balls at him and he's this little kid and so it's like you know I I, I kind of love seeing the the athletes like you said having fun and you know the crossover from other sports um you know it's an important thing so so yeah it's kind of you got you got to have some fun you got to you know have that crossover so
1: <laughs> well the thing is what I really respect you know like <clears throat> Like, right now, Fed, Fed's not playing that play court circuit. Mm-hmm. You know what? Mm-hmm. He's home with the family. And so, when he decides to come back, he's going to be refreshed. I mean, right. the, you know, in the past, when you've had different guys, you know, um, it, oh, it fell the I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, he, I think at one point, he played like 40 weeks in one year. Whoa. It was ridiculous. I mean, I think I, I, that may be high, but it was, was sick.
0: Yeah, I mean, he 40 out of 52 weeks is,
1: is just... I mean, it, it, it was... It was it, I and mean, that may be high. It may have been 30, but it was... It was it but was still. A number that he just went, oh, my God, it was way over half the year. Mm-hmm. And he was playing tournament after tournament. And it's like, how does he, you know, hold up? But, right. you know, it's like... The biggest thing for, for tennis players today is everybody's so centralized on trying to get to the tour. Right. It's like, at the end of the day... It's such a small number. Just make sure you, you, you enjoy your, your childhood.
0: Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, so before important. you guys
1: start paying taxes, you got to have some fun. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's the biggest thing I preach to my kids. I mean, you know, Caitlin Burns, who went to LSU, it's like, you know, her dad came to me when she's in the eighth grade, so we sent him to one of the academies. And I looked at, I said to him, I said, what's your objective? And he said... Love her to go to college on a scholarship. I said, that's already done. He right. She goes, What? I said, she's gonna get that. Sure. And I said, you know, you know Caitlin's a, a personal person. She she's not gonna thrive in that, that atmosphere. And you're gonna you're gonna waste a lot of money. I know the, the academies don't like to hear that, but you know, I worked for her for one and there's a lot of unhappy kids there. Mm-hmm. You know, so I told them, mm-hmm. let her stay home. Let her play for a high school team. Let her have fun. Ah. she Ended up going to LSU on a full ride and ended up playing number one for two and a half years.
0: Wow! Now that brings up that brings up a huge point again. That's kind of a hot button type issue of school tennis playing playing for your middle school or high school and still being able to have the UTR that you want or the ranking that you need for college well, I mean, coaches to look at you. So that that's a that's a pretty cool story right there.
1: Well, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm a 100% in favor of high school tennis as <laughs> yeah. a coach because, you know, like we've got some coaches here in town that, you know, I don't care who you are, you've got to be at practice every day, um, you know, and it's uh-huh. like, and I, and I had one of my players a couple of years ago, she said, this is the situation. i got to be at practice five days a week, but yet she's dealing with players that can't really rally with her, so basically mm-hmm. she ends up being an assistant coach.
0: Right, right. That's a really good way to put it, yeah.
1: You know, and, and, and that's not what she's there to do, you know, so no. it, it it takes, it, you know, it it depends on, you know, it depends on the coach you have. But I, I would say, you know, in those situations, you look at the coach, say, listen, I want to be part of the team. I want to do this. You know, let me have some leeway to do some things, you know, two or three days a week to go work with my coach or my my situation. Mm-hmm. And I'll be here to support the team, you know, but you know, it's, it's also upon the, the high school coaches that have quality players that are above average, you know, that they give them some leeway. So mm-hmm. I think it's, a, I think it works both ways. I don't think that the players should have, you know, absolute autonomy, but I also don't think the coaches should expect them to be, you know, assistant coaches helping with their program either. So. Right, right, right. Um, and that, and, that, and that's, and like I said, that's in our area. That, I don't know how the the other areas are so
0: no, but I think th- I think that's pretty representative. I mean, I know I know that certainly applies, you know, here, um, and and some other places that I've been, you know, I've, I've yeah, been in been in Georgia, been in Tennessee, of course, obviously Alabama, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty representative. Um, so that's a good way to say it now. Do you have a favorite <laughs> a favorite color? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite memory, either as a player or as a coach?
1: Uh, favorite memory. So I would, what I would say is I was a dreamin' player nationally, but um, I know I'm an old guy, and uh, <laughs> but I got a chance to play Leo LaValle, who um about two months before we played it just won junior wimbledon and i got the opportunity to play him and i beat him so that would be my favorite favorite junior memory
0: that is awesome so a favorite memory is is different from um a proudest achievement so again either as a player or as a coach do you have a proudest achievement so far
1: I would say my proudest achievement is, you know, getting a lot of kids into college mm-hmm. on scholarships. I'm um, unfortunate. I've, I've had players that have gone to Florida, Vanderbilt, UNC, Arizona, Georgia, Georgia Tech, um, and a lot of other schools. I would say as a coach. My proudest accomplishment is getting those kids to be able to go and have the opportunity to play college tennis and have the understanding of being a student athlete.
0: Oh, I just—I—I I mean, you're talking about some serious tennis schools there, and then not—not not to mention, you know, the the other schools in between. I mean, being a student athlete, where you're play, whether you're playing at Georgia or or somewhere like Mercer or, or, or St. Well, like where I played or wherever, my, you know, but. my,
1: my, my hardest, uh, I would say my toughest situation was last year. Um, I had a young lady that I've been working with for about four and a half years mm-hmm. and she's a, she was a much better player than she gave herself credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, but she got, a ride to go to Christopher Newport. Nice. Um, and then she decided she was going to go to UNC. Mhm. And then um, she came in one day and said, "You know, I'm going to UNC." I said, "Okay, well, that's that's great." I said, "But you know, I I said to her, I said, Duh. but I thought your your goal was to go play tennis in college. Yes, it was. But you know, I just don't think I'm good enough." I said, "Well, okay." Mm. And I said to her, I said, well, then, you know, we don't need to do lessons anymore. Um, You know, your parents really don't need to spend the money to, you know, have you come work out with me. I I can set you up on the ball machine. And she took about a week, and then she came back to me. She goes, I'm going to Christian Newport. And I said, why?
2: And she said,
1: you know, I wanted to go with my friends to UNC, but you made me understand the fact that, I was, I was going to let go of my goals to do with my friends. I said, well, I, I didn't want to do that. She goes, no, the most important thing is I at least want to give it a try. I can always transfer. Wow. And she ended up playing this year at Chris Newport and had a great year, and she can't wait to get it back to school. So I would say of all the kids I've worked with, that I would say is one of my biggest, biggest
2: successes
1: with one of my kids.
0: Oh my goodness. That, that, that's the kind of story that just, um, that, you know, makes me get emotional. <laughs> that, that is awesome. That is awesome. I mean, it, cause I, I remember, I remember what, what that was like. I mean, cause as a kid growing up playing in Birmingham, Alabama, everybody went to Auburn or Alabama and I couldn't play at either one of those schools, not even close. And, um, so when somebody told me, you know, well, there are other opportunities and you can go to a smaller school and you can play and it was a, it was a huge decision. And so I, I can, I can kind of feel this girl's struggle, <laughs> you know, and Well and was
1: yeah. it. And it was like, I, I get you want to go with your friends, but I was like, you know, you, you know, for the four and a half, last four and a half years, you told me this is your goal and you're going to walk mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. your goal. I said, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. But you know, then we don't need to spend any more money.
2: Right. And it was
1: like. You know, and she took about a week to think about it. and I said, she can't wait to get back to school. Wow. After her freshman year. So and she had a great year. Um, she had some good days, some bad days. It all sure. happens. But, sure. you know, sure. but she can't wait to get back there with her teammates. And um, she made it a point to tell me that, you know, thank you. You know, wow. thank you for convincing me to go do this. And, and you know what? I would say of all the kids I put through school, that was the proudest moment for me that, you know, she, she, she went and did and accomplished one of her dreams. So, wow,
0: that's, that's incredibly rewarding for everybody, for, for you, for her, for her family. I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, Tom, are you superstitious? Oh my
1: God. (laughs) Name a tennis player that's not. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> There's no serious tennis player that you know that's not got some superstition. And you're going to ask me mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> so my my general superstition, unlike macros, I didn't worry about lines. Mm-hmm. I always wanted the tennis ball, and still do, to this day, mm-hmm. that I won the last point with.
0: Oh yeah, I do that. That's mine too. We share that. Okay. It
1: doesn't matter how fluffy it is. It no, how if I won it the is. last
0: point with it, I want it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally I get it. Yeah. yeah. So that's
1: that's my superstition.
2: Mm.
0: Now, what what rituals do you um, encourage your players to to follow?
1: Um. Basically, just find a routine that fits you. I mean, everybody's mm-hmm. different. I mean, mm-hmm. find a routine that fits what you're comfortable with. I mean, everybody's got you know, different routines. Like, my routine was when I'd go to a tournament, I never looked at the draw. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. didn't want to know who I was playing, didn't care. Right. Okay. I would just go and I would look, you know, I would ask, who am I playing next? Uh, so that that's me. I mean, but everybody's as far as routines, you got to figure out what fits your personality because everybody's yes. personality's different. That's
0: right.
1: So you know, it's kind of like uh, you're a baseliner, you're a full an all-core person, you're a servant uh, volleyer. It's got to fit. It's got to fit your personality. So. Yep. So when, when people are looking for rituals, I would say try to find something that fits.
0: I totally agree, and I and I, I think it's funny, and this just just came to me right now. But it's like, you know, when when I was coming through the juniors, you know, this was before the age of of everything available on the internet, and so I really I really couldn't look ahead. You really couldn't look up your opponent and see their win loss record and who they played and what tournaments they played and. You know their social media profiles and all, and 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 so, and you know this would be an interesting research project for somebody like me who's a nerd. But it's like, you know, yeah, how how much information is is good, and how much information it becomes <laughs> detrimental.
1: Well, I I, I, my, my my opinion today is is half the problem with players is they get information overload.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I can't beat that person. So right? Why not? Right, well, because they're so and so and they've beaten so and so and they've beaten this one, okay. You
0: know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember, um, again, when, when I was growing up at, at the time, there was like a pre qualifying to qualify to, to go play Southern Closed, the bullfrogs are, yeah. <laughs>
1: All oh, the
0: bullfrogs, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And and I remember um, again, you know, you couldn't look up the draws online. There was no app for that. And <laughs> and but when I walked out onto the court to to warm up with this girl, she was wearing a T-shirt from Bolitari. And I was like, oh, I'm going to lose. Like, <laughs> I just totally assumed, like, you know, I play at the club down the street. This girl's been to Boletari. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose. Like,
1: <laughs> you know? Well, the thing is, that, that's so funny because, I mean, I grew up in, in the era when Boletari and Mike Palma were just getting started. Right. And uh, most people don't remember, Mike Palma was uh, the um, second part of Boletari hmm mm-hmm. um, And they were in Bradenton, and they were at a club, and they would show up in this bus. They had this old-school bus. and it painted. <laughs> and it didn't matter whether they had two kids getting off the bus or 50 kids getting off the bus. They drove the bus everywhere.
0: That's awesome, yeah.
1: <laughs> and part of it was advertising when I sure. get it. Sure,
0: of course, yeah.
1: But it also had the effect that, you know, they're coming from this big place, and they got a school bus.
0: The intimidation oh God, I, I, I factor. Yeah.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> Again, yeah, it, that, it, that, it, that girl, it, it, just it, because, it, because it, she had on that voluntary t-shirt when we were warming up, I was like, I'm toast.
1: <laughs> well, I also think back in <laughs> the day, you know, you had kids that had two rackets and you had kids that had six rackets.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if he had six rackets. He obviously was being sponsored. Right. We realized that some of those kids had really wealthy parents and would do that.
0: Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: It's it's, it's all game.
0: It is. It is. So much of it is. Um, is there is there something that you do in every practice?
1: Um, I would say the main thing I do with my adults, with my juniors, with with everybody is the first thing I ask them: Are we having fun?
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, of course I because love that. When- <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, because if we're not having fun, why are we out here? Correct. Um, I'll give you, I had a, um, I tried, and I don't know if you have it in Alabama but North Carolina has what's called tri-tennis mm-hmm. it's sponsored by the USDA. Yes, we, we and, do.
0: Have, we have a version of it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, well, I had a lady show up late today. She was so embarrassed. She was late. She was about 15 oh. minutes late. <laughs> and I said, uh, I looked at her, I said, you know what the problem is? and she was like what and I said you don't have a smile on your face which means you're not having fun I said rule number one when you walk on my court we gotta be having fun (laughs) and we had fun
0: well you know that's what the
1: game's about
0: well just just because I know you personally Tom and I can I can I feel like I can speak to this I mean you are super fun and so I know that that is infectious to the people that you're around and so I know that the people that are on the court with you are lucky to be able to to have, have that fun.
1: <laughs> well, me, I teach the game because I love it. I teach the game because I wanna, you know, impart the fact that this is something you can play for your life. With the younger kids, it's all about the game of, of life because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, when you're in life you're you're all by yourself. So mm-hmm. you've got to learn how to defend yourself, mm-hmm. you gotta learn how to have fun and you gotta learn how to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great game to teach that.
0: And in that same vein, what do you feel like now that you've been, you've been in the Southern section for a while now, even though you spent some time in in Florida and elsewhere, um, you know, like Egypt, (laughs) but um, what, what do you feel like we can do? or, Or what do you think of, of the status of sort of growing the game and where we are? You know, I know there's a good crop of some pretty young, good, good players right now. Um, But what are your thoughts on growing the game?
1: I would say the biggest problem that we've made, we have Mm -hmm. um, from my era, which is the old guys. um, (laughs) You know, um, I I will tell you, I grew up with Jay Berger. I grew up with Mm. Shelby Cannon. I grew up with um, guys like that, um, you know, we played more on clay than they do today and it Mm. partly is because a lot of those city facilities no longer are clay they're hard courts um i will tell you the my personal opinion the biggest difference between our era and the middle era you know maybe a couple years older is that they understand how to play defense Mm. if you look at the great players today you've got Nadal, Federer, Djokovic,
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, Murray. When he gets healthy, mm-hmm, you know all mm-hmm. the great players. The difference between them and the and, and the next level is how well they play defense. Yep. We mm-hmm. play so much on hard courts where you can slap balls by guys. Um, you can, you can, you know, basically just hit winners from all over the place.
2: Where on red
1: clay, and those surfaces where you have to learn how to play more. Uh, controlled offense, I guess is a better way of saying it, is I think that's what the U.S. is missing. I just don't think we play – we don't play defense at the level that the Europeans and the South Americans do. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, we, we, get some, we get some guys that are right there in the top 10, between top 10 and top 30, but we don't have the guys competing for number one. You
0: know, you know and and- I I, I, th- I think that might even be even – easier to see or more prevalent even on the women's side when when you see the you know uh, Madison Keys of the world or the Sharapovas or these big heavy hitters you know and and, in my era it was like you know watching Lindsay Davenport just step in and just crack a ball you know but you know now you have these scrappy girls like a like a halop you know I always loved watching Hingis play and you know I was a huge um um, you know fan of Hingis and and it, it, you know it's it's so you I think that you can see that in the women's game as well I mean it's 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 very very obvious in both the men's and the women's game that these styles of player I think it, it goes straight to your point
1: yeah and, and 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 the problem is here in the U.S. we're, we're kind of hamstrung because we don't we're not a clay court prevalent society right, like right. South America and Europe mm-hmm. are, and mm-hmm. so I think that's hindering us in the development of our players to understand defense and point development. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I would—we've got some phenomenal athletes. There's no doubt about that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But
1: you know, I know that some of the people in the USDA might just cringe when I say that, but I—I mm-hmm. I just think that we just don't defend the, the the court as well as we attack the court. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Federer, Nadal, joke and Nadal is the biggest example of a guy that used to be a straight defender.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now he's attacking the court like a madman. I mean, he, right. Not that he's coming, not that he's coming to net on every single ball, but you know, he's not just relying as being a grinder. I mean, he's he's developing the point from an attacking position. You know, look at. Uh, uh, Zarev, uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure I just pronounced his wrong, name wrong, but uh,
2: no, but, uh,
1: um, uh, but
0: Sasha. Zareb,
1: and... Yeah, Zarev. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: You know, he's he's the latest, you know, up and coming guy that understands defense and, and, and how to turn defense into offense.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: our, you know, I would say the the guy that I think had one of the greatest talents coming out of the USTA about five or six years mm-hmm. ago was Harrison. And there's Mm -hmm. there's a guy that needed to spend, you know, 18 months, two years on a clay court learning how to play defense. Mm -hmm. But his offense is amazing. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. He's got the bomb serve. He's got the great volley. He's got the great midcourt. But where he gets in trouble is on the wings. And, you know, if you look at today's game, you're playing on the wings a lot. And you got to know how to defend
0: So that's kind of the the Sampras syndrome. Yeah. That's why Sampras never won the French maybe, or, you know, I hate to make that statement. That's a bold statement, but Um,
1: (laughs) I would say he probably was the exception to the rule. I would say that, you know, uh, he, he won so many grand slams because he was a great defender, but you know, it's just one of those situations where, uh, you know, I think he may be the anomaly in in the conversation. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was phenomenal at everything he did, it just, you know, let's face it. The red clay puts a grind on you,
0: <laughs> right? Yes. You know, and
1: and he, he is as great a player as he was. I don't think he trained as hard as he could have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
2: So. Well, that's I don't something make it that. Cool has, for that,
1: but whatever.
0: Well, well, I think that's something that has certain certainly changed. Um, so, in in that same vein, um, how has your coaching style evolved?
1: Um. I would say my coaching style has evolved like 180 degrees from where it was. (laughs) Um, It went from, I guess, from a totalitarian type of coaching style to, you know, more of a let's have fun. Let's let's learn the game and Mm -hmm. just understanding. um, When I started coaching, I was, you know, 22 years old and so i expected everybody to want to be number one in the world mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and today it's you know 52 it's more uh, <laughs> uh um you know i want kids to have fun i want mm-hmm. them to play for the rest of their lives i want yep.
2: them
1: they walk out of one of my clinics or one of my ladies walks out of, one of my clinics or you know, our guy, our, our guys i just want them to walk off the court saying well we had a lot of fun today yep you know, and, and that's the difference between, you know, realizing that 99.9% of the people that walk on a tennis court aren't doing this to win a, a you know, a tour event. They're right. out there to have fun. Right. So.
0: So. Well, wha- <laughs> am I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Well, um. my, my,
2: my wife might <laughs> not say that, but yes, I've matured
0: um so what what qualities make a great coach
1: um i would say the qualities that make a good coach are empathy compassion and the concept of this is a sport for a life mm-hmm. not 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 a sport for a match
0: Uh, mm-hmm. oh, i think that's so just, well said yep
1: and just you know as long as everybody is out there having fun and doing the best that they can, and I and this is my kids don't play tennis, mm-hmm. but this is the kind of concept that I, uh, I teach to my kids, my adults. Mm-hmm. There's two things you can control you can control focus, and you can control effort. If you give those two mm-hmm. things and you do the best you can, you've had a good day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, so you can focusing control. You can control. Yeah, yeah, oh, I, I I love that. I mean, so you're focusing less on the result and more on the the effort given, the performance given. Performance is a tricky word there, but but yeah, I mean, the effort given, I mean, that, that's... I mean, because,
1: you, you know what, kids, adults, you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. But did mm-hmm. you, you know, I, my kids, one's a swimmer, one plays football and lacrosse, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like, the only thing I ever ask for them, did you give your best effort? And the answer is yes, we're good. Did you give the best focus? Yeah, the answer's good. All right, we're good. If you didn't give either one of those, then we're going to have a conversation. But, I mean, the bottom line is that those are the two things that you can control, and control what you can control, and don't worry about the outside stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, oh, so that's, that's a huge concept that I think is sometimes hard to, to wrap, wrap your mind around in, in a way. But um, so you have such a, you know, vast background between – You know, you're playing and you're coaching internationally and and stateside. And you've been a pro of the year for the USTA. You've been a USPTA manager of the year. You've been the president of USPTA North Carolina. You're now on the USPTA Southern board. Um, What does continuing education mean to you?
1: I would say that the easiest way for me to answer this is from my standpoint is I I think that language is huge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. meaning a lot of us, most of us understand how to teach the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the part that's lost is how do I communicate with individual people?
2: And mm-hmm. it's how does
1: how do you say something?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what I've learned um, in the last five to 10 years is that it's not what I'm trying to tell them. It's how I'm telling them. Okay. and how to figure out how to communicate with each individual person. Because it's my job as a pro to figure out how to communicate with them. It's not their, my student's job to figure out how to communicate with me. And so when I go to each one of these conferences and I listen to phenomenal speakers, you know, um, you know one of them I think is amazing with his language skills is, is uh, Bill Riddle. I mean, he just, he comes from different angles. all He's mm-hmm. funny. I get it, but he's phenomenal in different ways he communicates. Um, you know, another one is, you know, he is our president of the board, but of Southern, but Lane, he's, he's great with his communication skills. Oh, he, so he,
0: good. So good.
1: Um, you know, um, there, there's tons of them out there. I'll tell you, one of the guys I listen to all the time, he's one of my closest confidants is, is Tom Cascarano. I, every time Tommy and I can sit down and have dinner, have lunch or breakfast, you know, I'm just picking his brain with different ways to communicate with people because he's so good with it. Mm -hmm. You know, so to me, it's not, how we teach people isn't going to change a ton. It's how Mm -hmm. we communicate with people and how to communicate with each individual person because everybody's Mm -hmm. different.
0: Right. Yes. Yes. You know, and I have
1: my, my, you know, there's three types of communication. There's, you know, visual, verbal, and uh, kinesthetic, Right, hmm and the hardest for me is kinesthetic because mm-hmm. I'm not a kinesthetic learner. so I'm oh. constantly trying to figure out how to teach kinesthetic people because it's all about feel. how did you feel that? because you, you got to use the right keywords?
0: You know you, you know, know? I have a great story about this so, so this is this is funny. so this was um, I was actually doing my first uh, uh, master of tennis um, uh, what did they call them module. <laughs> with ptr so i was i was at hilton head and and Pankhurst, who i think is phenomenal was leading the um the the coursework through the entire thing but especially this day we were on the court after we'd been in the classroom and she i didn't realize what she was doing at the time but looking back I, it was totally by design and i just you know was you know way too green to realize it but so she was talking about how would you teach someone to juggle. And she was like, everybody just sort of, you know, do what you might do. And me and this other guy who who is a, a I think it's phenomenal, Noah um, Sussman. I mean, he's a great guy. And we kind of grabbed some balls and walked off to ourselves and were trying to juggle. And some other people were listening attentively and some other people were watching. And, and so it was such an... Uh, I don't know if sociology or psychology, I don't know which one it is, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, at the end of this little exercise that we did, she said, okay, who can identify the, the visual learners, the, you know, the audio learners and the kinesthetic learners? And we were kind of like, wait, what? And she said, okay, the people that picked up the balls and walked off and tried to just figure it out. You know, they're your kinesthetic people. They're trying to, like, feel their way through it. She was like, who were the people that were watching everything that we did? Who were the people that were listening? So it was it was such a cool – it was really a cool thing, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of Anne Pankhurst anyway, but it goes right to what you're saying as far as, you know, having having an offering out there and figuring out the, the puzzle of, you know, how people learn and how you can reach those people so that you can give them the best experience and do the best job teaching so that they can communicate like you said yeah
1: well like i said the hardest you know the the hardest part for me is figuring out who you know and and i've i've gotten obviously a ton better but my 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 concept with it now is is i am a visual learner Mm -hmm. and i really can understand you know auditory Mm -hmm. my biggest focus is learning how to become a better kinesthetic teacher because I don't understand it because that's not what I do. That's Mm -hmm, not me. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that's as a teaching pro, as somebody is teaching people, the biggest thing is you have to figure out what kind of learner you are and what you do well and figure out what you don't do well and learn how to teach that way as well, because to be a good pro, you've got to teach all three concepts.
0: Well, I think it's, and I think, yeah, oh, go ahead. Yep.
1: I was going to say the biggest thing is I don't think from just watching guys in my area teach mm-hmm. we've got some phenomenal teaching pros mm-hmm. is that the biggest mistake is we teach how we do things and we don't comprehend how our students do things.
0: Oh, I think that's an epidemic, yeah, sure.
1: Well, but you no, know, but it's not it's not fair to the pros. They just It's just understanding there's three ways to learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was my eye opener. And I want to say it was a Southern Conference maybe 10 years ago I went to. Mm -hmm. And I want to say it was Tom Douglas was talking about that. Okay. And I was like, holy crap. (laughs) I was like, it opened my eyes. And and you asked why continuing education. Right mm-hmm. there is an example that opened my eyes mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me to start saying, Okay, holy crap, language is huge. Yep. You know, so to me, that's if I learned anything in ten years, Tommy D with that <laughs> workshop that I went to, and he it was uh it wasn't on court, it was in a classroom. It mm-hmm. was like it was like, Holy crap, he's absolutely right. Yep. You know, it was an eye-opener and from that point on, I've really worked on trying to become better with my language on mm-hmm. how to deal with each individual mm-hmm. person
2: mm-hmm.
1: as the individual person, not how I teach. Right. Because how I teach isn't relevant to every person that's yeah. out there.
0: That's right. Yep. Yep.
1: I have to take I have to figure out how they learn and make what I'm trying to teach fit their learning capacity. Right. And that to me is what continuing education
0: is about oh i think that that is so well said you know and i've i've I certainly um i love the idea of sort of the what i would call a a light bulb moment you know i mean i i've had a few of them and i know i will continue to have them <laughs> I always do well that and that's the yeah. and that's the great
1: thing like you said continuing education that's what it's about yep, yep. it's always learning how to because like i said all, we've got so many great tennis pros in this mm-hmm. this country mm-hmm. But to me, it's learning how to say what you need to say to each individual person because each person's like a fingerprint. They're different. Mm-hmm. And you've got to figure out how to communicate with that person. So in a lesson, sometimes my students will say, oh, I feel like I'm letting you down. I said and I look at it and I said, no, I'm letting you down because I can't communicate to you what I'm trying to convey. Mm-hmm. So it's my failure, not yours.
0: Ah, Well, that takes that takes a lot of. Wow, no that that's 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 incredibly insightful on your part because uh, you know, yeah I, I I well your your students are lucky. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean that's to me that's the way I teach. If we're not if we're not succeeding, I've got to figure out how to succeed. It's mm-hmm. not you, it's mm-hmm. me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's what you're paying me for. Because mm-hmm. you want to get better, it's my job to make you better. And if I'm not doing it, then I got to figure out how to do.
0: Oh, you know, this is kind of a silly story as an analogy, but yeah, my um we're also restaurant business people and uh my my husband and I had gone to Chicago this is many years ago actually at this point and um we'd gone to this restaurant it's called MK. It's uh, still there in Chicago and Um, I'd never been there before and, and, you know, unbeknownst to them, and I would certainly never say it, I had gotten very, very sick on (laughs) some, (laughs) some scallops. Damn alcohol. (laughs) Yeah, that was involved too. But, uh, but yeah, I had, I had gotten really sick on some scallops, um, a few weeks earlier and, and we were doing this, this like, you know, preset menu, And, um, you know, in that sort of situation, I'm there and I'm with my husband and it's this preset deal. I would have never complained about, you know, the the scallop course or whatever that they brought out. And I just, that's just not me. But to their credit, the server noticed that I wasn't touching the scallop. And instead of coming and being like, does it not taste good? Are you not enjoying that? None of that. They just came out and they said... We think you might like this better, and they put this soup in front of me, and it was like this tomato basil soup, and it was fabulous, and no questions asked, no judgment, no nothing, you know, and then all and then I'm trying to make apologies like, oh no, no, you know, it's not I'm sure the scallops delicious. I just you know, I just am not ready to eat scallops. I was sick a few weeks ago, and they were so they were like, "Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enjoy the soup. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but the, but the point was that I didn't have to say anything. So how good was the service that I didn't complain? They just noticed that I wasn't eating the scallop, and so they brought something else out and said, "Maybe you'll maybe you'll enjoy this more."
1: Well, and that's and that's and to me, that's a, a testament to understanding your customer.
0: And yeah. That's, yeah. So that's that's you know, so like I said, that's that's why I kind of drew that analogy from what you're talking about. It's like I didn't actually have to complain they just brought me out some soup cause I wouldn't eat the scallop. They didn't know that I'd gotten sick on scallops <laughs> you know, two weeks ago or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just reading your people. You have to be able to, to have a good read of people. Right. And you know, and it's, it's all the service industry. So it's, it's all, it's all intertwined. But, um, so, you know, this, I love, I love this question. It's one of my favorite questions, but, um, So who do you consider your mentors?
1: Um, I would say my number one mentor, um, has always been my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he and I go at things totally differently, Mm -hmm. but I can always, you know, talk to him and he, he, he realizes we, we, we do things differently But he'll give me scenarios in which to follow. He doesn't tell me how he would do it. So to me, that's really important that he doesn't try to dictate and tell me how to do things. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that I wouldn't say mentors in the sense that um, that, that they take – I would say the people that I look up to really a lot that I know I can call on and feed information to and and, and talk to, I would say uh, one would have to be Tom Cascarano.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He is, mm-hmm. he he and I, I don't know how we got connected, but <laughs> I would say about four years ago we got connected and, you know, Anytime I need to throw things at him, he's, he's there. He calls me back immediately with chit chat. He goes, you know, this is how I handle it. He, he knows my personality is different than his. Mm-hmm. These are options. You know, I can, I can, I can, you know, just chat with him and I can blow up. I can do whatever I need to do. And he just sits there and he listens and he goes, eh, you're being a dumbass. or you're, <laughs> you know, this is a better way to handle it. You know? So he he's, he's a great ear. Um, I would say another one is definitely uh, my compadre, uh, Ken Andreano. Oh, um, he I would can't. never look at himself. He would never look at himself as a mentor. But <laughs> I look at, I look up to him because he's he just he's he's so level headed. He's mm-hmm. so business oriented. He's so he just gets it, you know, and he gets me. Yes. So, um, and I would say and. You know, in, in recent couple of years, I would say another good mentor, you know, that I bounce stuff off of all the time is, uh, I would say, Bill Riddle. And I would say I'm very mm-hmm. fortunate that these are guys that I've got to know through USPTA in the last mm-hmm. five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And these are guys that just, you know, we get each other.
0: Yep. So, yep. I mean. And it's so important to have those relationships and I think that's another part of the continuing education that you know you actually have the <laughs> obvious education component but you know the networking and the relationships that are built um, I know that that you know for me personally when the the brief time that I was in Atlanta you mentioned Ken and Ken Andriano, and you know he knows me and you know we we got to know each other through our involvement with, involvement with the USPTA and yeah, that I was having a tough time when I was in Atlanta and you know, he had kind of invited me over to at that time he was at the River Club and we we kind of just met and sat and there's a beautiful like lake right there and you can sit there and it's very peaceful and <laughs> and he and he literally looked at me and he goes, "You're not happy. What's going on?" <laughs> and so it's yeah. like you're saying, you know, when somebody just gets you, when somebody knows you and somebody can provide that support or just be an ear or just, you know, just be there for you, you know, in whatever capacity that might be. I mean, th- these things are invaluable. And so that's a relationship like like with you and like with so many others that like a Bill Riddle, like Kevin Theos, like all, all you know, I, f- I feel like Southern, we're, we're a family and. You know, I, I wouldn't have had that if I wasn't involved with the USPTA.
1: Well, and I would say that that that's absolutely true because I would say, you know, not uh, not to toot your horn too much, but every time I have, uh, you know, uh, we call it ten and under tennis or whatever we're calling it this week um, for USTA. But uh, you know, any any time I have a junior clinic, you know, situation, you're the first, you're my first call or you're my first look on YouTube. So, oh, thank you, you know, for that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's seriously because you, you know, you know, you, you're really good with that scenario and, and that's not my, you know, my bailiwick, you know, yeah. <laughs> my bailiwick is dealing with advanced players and, and ladies for mm-hmm. the most part.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: so, you know, you, you, you need to know what your strengths and your weaknesses are. And you need to go find the people that are really good at what they do in their their areas and ask for advice. And 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 you're my number one call when it comes to, you know, tenant under tenants. I mean, you uh, you you get it. You're awesome. I have <laughs> seen all your videos and it's like holy crap. Well, if
0: I that's can only a get huge that compliment. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's the biggest compliment you could give me right there. But but I think I think to, that, that even speaks to a bigger point of you know you said being able to say I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses and therefore I can ask for help it's sort of that that old adage of like asking for directions you know because that there's there's been points you know that I've I don't mean points like tennis points but like points at in which I'm working with a player and I go okay we've been trying to do this but let's say the serve for example like maybe I'm trying to change the grip on the serve or Something it's like, okay, it's not working. It's, it's not working. You know, you're like beating your head against the wall. It's not working. You know, and I've reached out to a friend in the industry, you know, somebody down the street, and I'm like, can I send my player to you for a lesson on on the serve? Because, you know, we're working on it, and it's just, it's not happening. <laughs> you know, but to, to be able to, to reach out and, and have a network, I think it's so much better than kind of being territorial and not reaching out and not recognizing, okay, I'm good at this, but I need help with that. Well, it
1: goes, I I don't mean to cut you off, but it basically goes back to to me the old, old adage of, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes. That's the way I teach.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: I've got no problem with my, my kids going elsewhere. I mean, I'll give you an example of uh, Caitlin Burns,
2: mm-hmm. my
1: girl that went to LSU. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would work with her on certain things. And my assistant pro at the time, or head pro, was Kendrick uh, Bunn. Now it's Kendrick Gaddy. Uh-huh. Um, she played four for UNC. Oh, wow. Kendrick would work for with her for about 30 seconds, tell her something, exactly the same thing I would tell her, <laughs> and Caitlin would start doing it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) and it became the
1: running it it came. it became the running joke oh so you listen to her but not me (laughs) right but and it's just that i just don't care as long as as long as the person gets it i don't care where they get it from right because the object is not my ego it's the object is to make the player better
0: yeah
1: yeah and i think a lot of times us as tennis pros forget that the object is not our ego it's 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 making the player or the person or the student the best they can be,
0: oh, that's so no matter awesome. where
1: they get it from.
0: Yep, I, I yeah, I can't can't I can't say it any better than that. That's 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 it. Um, so ahead of the USPTA Southern Conference, it's a convention uh, or whichever the word is. I, I, I think I said that wrong, but it's in Atlanta. Yeah, convention's right. Convention, okay, USPTA Southern Convention. Um, Atlanta Athletic Club this coming Thursday.
1: Yes, I will see you at 11 o'clock.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, Eastern.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: And um, you're presenting, right?
1: Yes, I am the last person on the court for the entire convention. <laughs> the- <laughs> you know what? They save the best for last.
0: Yes, they definitely saved the best for last. What are you presenting on?
1: <laughs> um, I am made it a point to tell them I was not doing any high performance anything. I'm working on just drills. That. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, my thing, you know, is that when we go to these conferences, it's all no disrespect to PTR, PTA, but everything I see is either 10 and under or high mm-hmm. performance. Mm-hmm. And I just don't honestly teaching pros. We're teaching 75% of the time to two, five to four players. Yep. And my whole thing is going to be about drills to make them more consistent and working on some double strategy.
0: Uh, I think that's awesome. And I think, you know, I mean, Tom, I know I could talk to you uh, for the rest of the afternoon. We just might have to, you know, you know, crack open some drinks, but I, I know I could talk to you for, forever. But, but, you know, this, this actually brings me to a a, a question that wasn't on my, <laughs> my little list.
1: Oh, crap. But, You're catching me off guard? <laughs> No. You know, I'll have an answer, so it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, you, you know, to me, when when we look at the the current state of the industry, which that that could, you know, you ask ten different people, you get ten different answers. But you know, it's like, okay, it's it's what you, it's what you were saying before. It's like if we're really going to serve the people now, and, and and if you're in a country club, or if you're at a public facility, or if you're you know in an academy your people or your people, you know, depending on where, where you are. So the answer would be obviously different, but, but as far as just in kind of an overarching or general thought on, you know, how we best serve the industry, you know, where, where does that area of focus go?
1: I would say the USTA keeps talking about, um, growing the game,
0: yeah, yep.
1: All right, so I would say the one thing they have done, at least in North Carolina, mm-hmm. that I absolutely agree with and I am so on board with, um, is try tennis. Oh, that's um, a great program, yeah. They're spending a lot of money with it, mm-hmm. and we're having great success with it here in Wilmington. I don't know about statewide, but I do know that that our pros are really on board with it um i would say where they're falling down in north carolina Uh and i'm all i can do is just speak to north carolina and i can speak to my city is that they need to get more involved with jv programs Uh not the varsity programs Uh and they need to get really involved with the on-campus programs Uh within the universities
0: Oh, I totally
1: agree there. Yep. At beginner programs, not the kids that can already play, because if they want to drive their league play, which is a huge part of their financial um, budget, mm-hmm. then JV is going to turn into your club players in college if you mm-hmm. if you market it right. And beginner programs within the campuses themselves. You know, i.e., you know, tri tennis on campus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's where they, that's where they need to drive their programs to build their junior programs. Mm-hmm.
0: That's totally. You know, clear. that's my opinion. Yep. I mean, yeah. because no, I it, that's a
1: great answer. Yeah. I mean, because you know, we're going to continue with tri tennis to get the the adults and stuff like that. But to to just expand on the JV and the and the tri tennis on campus for the college programs is. um uh, to me is, is where they need to start focusing. But that's one man's opinion.
0: <laughs> well <laughs> Well, no, I, I, I think that's great, Tom. And and so 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 fun question. Um, if you could play doubles with anyone. Mix.
1: Oh, there's only and... one person. Okay. There's only one person. Okay. <laughs> it's gotta be Johnny Mack.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> that's great.
1: There's only one person to play doubles with. He might be yelling at me, but God, we'd have some fun. At least I'd win because he could do the whole damn thing himself.
0: Oh, that is great. That is great.
1: I mean, really?
0: (laughs) I would say one
1: B would have to be Martina.
0: Yes, yes. Never yeah. Oh, but, oh but no. 1A yes. is
1: McEnroe.
0: Yes, yes,
1: yes. <laughs> did I right. answer the question? Both, yes. For both sexes, I answered the, the question.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. And so. And
1: they could carry me anywhere they wanted to.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, one one more serious one before. I mean, thank you so much for your time. I know we've, we've run a little bit over, so I know I've kept That's you right. long enough, but I sure appreciate it. Um, so parting question, what, what do you want your legacy to be?
1: My legacy I would like to be is just somebody that makes the game fun for everybody. And at the end of the day, they learn something.
0: Uh, Ah, I, I, I think that's perfect. I love the way you said it and, and you certainly do it. And you've made your mark on, on, on so many people and will continue to do so. Your students are lucky they all are <laughs> well
1: thank you and uh i just hope uh i've got many more years to go
0: <laughs> yes yes and 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 we'll 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 podcast again because like i said we could we could talk tennis i think forever
1: <laughs> sounds like it
0: <laughs> well tom thank you so much and i, I will see you in atlanta
1: <laughs> i will see you in a few days you have a great day uh,
2: all right you too all right
1: bye. All right, kiddo <laughs>
2: bye, <laughs> bye.